0: So I am the campus director of Emmaus at SNU, and I get to have the honor of sharing with you guys today, and um, it's my third time preaching this semester, and it's, you know what, like honestly, um, as much as it's new for me, I love getting to speak to you guys, because as I get to know each of you more and more, I just see so much greatness and potential and gold inside your hearts, and so when I get the opportunity to encourage you guys through the word of God, it really, it excites me more than anything, so um, I want you guys, if you're in the back, or if there's empty seats in front of you, kind of move forward, because it's a smaller group tonight, so we want to get really intimate, so if you see some empty seats, Kyungchan, you know, sit, sit right there, you know what I'm saying, scoot up a little bit, okay, awesome. <clears throat> Front row. That's right. That's right. Awesome. All right. Okay, so, um, you know, as I do college ministry and as I meet with you guys personally, um, every single semester, what happens when I first meet a student is I'll look at them and they'll tell me oftentimes, you know, the first time I meet with them, they'll tell me a lot of deep stuff, their whole life stories. They'll tell me things they're struggling with And I'll look at them and I'll just see how amazing they are. No matter what they say, they could literally say anything to me. But in one moment, something just happens in my heart. And then God shows me a picture of who they really are. And he gives me a word of who they really are. And I just say something really simple to them like, man, you're amazing. Man, you're beautiful. Oh my gosh, you're amazing and most of the time when I first meet them and I say something like this, they just look at me so bewildered and confused. Like, what are you talking about? Did you not just hear what I told you? Did you not just hear everything I told you? And there's even more. Like, you don't know the thoughts that I think. You don't know all the things I've done. You don't know what kind of background I have. How could you say those things about me, right? And it's so crazy because people's perception of themselves is so different from God's perception of his sons and daughters, especially in young people, because right now your identities are being established and formed and molded right now. The decisions you're making and the kind of image that you're forming of yourself, it's, they say that the years like 19 to 25 are the formative years. And what you establish about your personhood during those years is like, the rest of your life. And after that cutoff, it's so hard to learn new habits, they say. But I mean, anything is possible with the grace of God. But those years are very crucial. And so what you guys are taking in from media, from family, from friends, from yourself, from even the devil, the kind of things he's saying about you, what you decide to agree about yourself is crucial, especially in these years. And so that's why it's such an honor to do college ministry, because in these years when the enemy is trying so hard to deceive students into thinking that they're a certain way, um, I, the staff, we get the honor of telling you guys who you really are, of releasing God's heart to you. And so tonight, I'm going to preach a really simple message about the way God sees you. I want to preach a message that will shift our perspective and release God's truth about who we really are in Him. Okay? So the first thing I want to do is turn to um, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible, please pull it out and turn to Luke chapter 19. All right, if you're there, make eye contact with me. Okay, Luke chapter 19, we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and I'll read it out loud in my NIV, so just follow along with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not, because because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Since, I'm sorry, I can't read tonight. I'm going to start over. <laughs> I am dyslexic. Okay. <clears throat> Starting with chapter 19. Okay. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Sorry. Once I start laughing, it's hard for me to, oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Luke chapter 19. Why am I laughing? Okay. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has, gone to the guest, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my posi- possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. All right. Let's pray again. Lord, I thank you so much for this night. And God, I thank you for your truth uh, that God, you, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. And so, Father, just as you spoke to Zacchaeus, just as you walked this earth, God, and saw him as he really was, God, I thank you that you're doing the same thing tonight in each one of us, God, that you are calling us by our true names, God, that you are seeking and saving all that is lost in us, God, all that's lost in our lives, God, and you're revealing and establishing your truth to us tonight. So, God, I just thank you that you're anointing my lips and anointing each word, God, that leaves my mouth. I thank you that, Father, every heart is open and every heart heart is awake, God, to what you're doing right now, this moment. And in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so in Luke, in the first two verses, um, we get to meet this character, Zacchaeus, okay? And I think, I remember in Bible study in Sunday school when I was a kid, like those, you guys remember those felt boards? like the, And then they would like tell you the Bible story through the felt board? So this one was my favorite. Okay, so like I got to learn about Zacchaeus through... Um, Sunday school, right? And I always thought it was really funny that he was such a short man and he climbed a tree, but as I was reading it this time, um, some key things stood out to me about this man. And the first thing we learn about Zacchaeus is that he is a tax collector, okay? And um, in Jesus's time, during this time period, tax collectors had a reputation for being extremely corrupt, extremely evil, extremely greedy. They would often bring false charges against people, and then they would accept bribes. Like if they, if someone had to pay a tax, like the government issued a tax on someone's family, then they would go, and they would up the price. They would lie, and then they would exhort the money. They would take the extras for themselves, right? So they're always mentioned in Scripture alongside sinners, okay? If you notice that throughout scripture, it'll say Jesus went to eat among the sinners and the tax collectors. It's like the pair came together because that's how they were recognized. Tax collector equals sinner. If you go with a tax collector, you go with a sinner. Okay. So, um, they were despised by the Jews. No one wanted to be a tax collector's friend. They were also seen as traitors to the Jews because they worked for the Roman government. The Roman government was, um, ruling the the jewish people at that time so because they're jews yet they work for the roman government and take from the poor jewish families the jews considered them complete traitors like how could you how could you come against your own nation your own people and exhort them how could you do this these evil things against your own people right tax collectors were hated by the jews and were considered to be the worst kind of sinner not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, but the word says he was the chief. A chief tax collector, which means like a head tax collector, okay? And he was wealthy, okay? And it doesn't make, uh, take much thinking to realize where he's getting his money, right? His profession is a tax collector. Tax collectors are known in that time to be evil and corrupt, to exhort money, and he's wealthy, okay? So how did he gain that wealth? He did a lot of bad things. He probably oppressed four poor families. He probably took bribes. He probably cheated people. Okay. So what they, like, oftentimes rumors, they have a source of origin that's true, right? And so what people said about tax collectors in this time, it was true. They were evil. And Zacchaeus was a chief wealthy tax collector. Okay. So we know that he probably did a lot of pretty bad and wicked things in his life. So the next verse is down, Luke 19, verses 3 and 4. It says, Zacchaeus saw Jesus at a distance, but he also saw a crowd surrounding Jesus. He couldn't get to Jesus, so he decided to climb a tree and see him, right? And I want you guys to take a moment and put yourself in Zacchaeus' shoes, okay? Can you imagine what Zacchaeus must have felt when he saw Jesus, he probably heard all about Jesus by that time, that Jesus was a righteous man. He worked in, he walked in such authority, such truth. He was bold, okay? He healed the sick and he raised the dead and he forgave people of their sins. He helped and healed so many people. Everyone he came across, Jesus blessed. Jesus set free, right? So when he saw Jesus at a distance, he probably had a glimmer of hope rise up inside him and he thought, man, this is my lucky day. This is my moment where this Jesus, who I know can set everyone free, who set so many people free, who, who forgives people of their sins, he's coming to my town, and this is my chance where that can happen for me as well. He probably had a glimmer of hope, right? But he probably saw the crowd in the next instant, the crowd of Jews surrounding Jesus everywhere he went, the crowd of Jews Mixed in there were some Pharisees who knew the law and who were trying to trap Jesus in his words, right? And the Pharisees hated tax collectors the most, by the way, because they were super religious. But um, he probably saw Jesus surrounded by a crowd of people who called him evil and a sinner his whole life, who wouldn't want anything to do with him because he was unclean and they wouldn't want that kind of reputation, right? And he probably dismissed any hope that came up in his heart. He thought, you know what? It's just too good to be true. Yeah, I want to see Jesus, but it's not going to happen. I, can't, I could never um, breach that distance between me and this holy man. But even with that, I still want to get a glimpse of him. I still want to see Jesus. And so he climbed up a tree just to get one glance of him. <clears throat> and then in the next couple verses, it says that Jesus... Um, He comes right up to the tree where Zacchaeus Zacchaeus climbed, right? So Jesus is at a distance. Zacchaeus sees him surrounded by a crowd. He climbs up a tree to see him better. And Jesus, he pushes through the whole crowd, and he comes straight to the spot where Zacchaeus climbed a tree, right? He saw Zacchaeus, and he came to him. And then Jesus uh, looked up at Zacchaeus, and he didn't say, Hey, sinner, I know everything you've done. I know that you have um, bribed, you've accepted bribes, you've been walking in corruption and evil. I know what you've done. I know you've cheated people. You've stolen innocent people's money. You are evil and corrupt. He didn't say any of those things. Jesus, this perfect man who lived a sinless life, who walked in intimacy with God, the holy God, right? He had every right, Jesus is probably the only person who had every right to condemn Zacchaeus, to tell Zacchaeus what he had really done, because Jesus already knew it. But Jesus looked into Zacchaeus' eyes and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Do you guys see how crazy that is? That doesn't make any sense at all, right? Right. Jesus is surrounded by a crowd of people that want to see him, that love him, that believe in him, by Pharisees who know the law and who are the holiest people, but he doesn't even care about all them. He goes directly to the tree of a sinner that wants to get one glimpse of him, of a sinner who thinks he's way too good for me to ever approach. I can never reach this Jesus, but Jesus draws near to Zacchaeus and says, come down. I want to stay with you. And the crazy thing is, is that what Jesus says to Zacchaeus is so significant, okay, if you really think about it. Because first of all, Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his real name, okay? He doesn't say sinner. He doesn't say tax collector. He doesn't say evil man, which is what Zacchaeus was. But he says Zacchaeus, okay? He calls Zacchaeus by his name. And in Aramaic, Zacchaeus means clean, pure, And righteous one okay clean pure righteous one come out of that tree i want to stay with you okay hey clean pure righteous one come out of that tree i want to stay with you and zacchaeus was probably so confused in that moment can you imagine what he must have felt this sinless and perfect savior said clean Pure, righteous one, I want to stay with you, right? I want to go home with you. I want to make my home where you live. I want to stay with you. In that tree, it's way too far. I want you to come closer to me. That's what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. He pro- Zacchaeus probably couldn't believe that Jesus was saying all of this stuff. He probably thought, because he had never met Jesus before, right? He probably thought, how could this Jesus know me? How could he know my name? How could he believe in me? How could he do that? How could he say those things? Does he know what I've done? Does he know the things that I've seen? Does he know the thoughts that I've had? Does he know what people say about me? And more than that, Jesus wants to come to my house. Jesus wants to stay with me. How could he want to stay with someone like me? Could you imagine what it must have been like for Zacchaeus? when Jesus said something like that to him. And as we look at uh, verse 7, we see how the crowd responded. We see the Jews' response to Jesus and Zacchaeus' meeting. The crowd of Jews, the people who've condemned Zacchaeus, they start muttering and gossiping to each other, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Okay, They are outraged and they probably wonder, does Jesus know how sinful this man is? If he knew that he was a tax collector and what he'd done, I bet he wouldn't want to go to his house after all, right? And then in verse 8, we see Zacchaeus' response, okay? Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. When Jesus drew near to Zacchaeus and called him by his true name, clean pure righteous one. I want to be with you. When Jesus said that everything changed inside of Zacchaeus. Can you guys see that? Jesus never told Zacchaeus to sell his possessions and give it to the poor. He never told Zacchaeus, stop sinning, get your life together. I want you to um, pay back everyone you cheated, four times the amount what was taken. Jesus never said that to him, right? That was all something Zacchaeus wanted to do. His whole life, the Pharisees and the Jews told Zacchaeus everything he was doing wrong. Everyone told him how sinful he was, but he couldn't change himself. And he couldn't change the way that he lived, the way that he saw himself, the way that he perceived the world, the way that he did business. And he knew everyone knew what he was doing. Nothing could change about him. He probably figured, yeah, they're all right. I am a sinner. I am a traitor, I am a tax collector, and I'm never going to change. But when Jesus called him by his true name, Zacchaeus, clean one, pure one, righteous one, Zacchaeus became those very things that Jesus called him. Just as God created the heavens and the earth by speaking the word of his immovable power, when God speaks anything, there is power in his words to create, okay? When Jesus spoke out this identity over Zacchaeus, his reality changed and he realized his true identity. Zacchaeus began to say, Jesus, you called me by my true name. You know who I really am and you want to be with me. Look, Lord, I want to do this. You're right. I am clean. I am pure. I am righteous. I am Zacchaeus. I'm not a sinner and I'm not a cheat. When Jesus spoke out Zacchaeus' true name and identity, Zacchaeus realized who he really was. And the first point I want to make is, when you believe in Jesus, you are given a new identity and a new name. And that is Christianity 101. And I know that everyone has heard it, and everyone knows it. And it's something so simple and so basic that I feel like we've lost it in some ways. But if you see what happened to Zacchaeus and you apply it to your own life when I apply it to my own life, I see myself also passing over this crazy thing that happened. That when Jesus spoke a true name, a true identity, everything in Zacchaeus changed to fit that word, right? When you are in Christ, you are completely different and new and not the way you used to be. In Ephesians 4.22, it says, take off the former self and put on the new self created to be like God. Your new self in Christ Jesus is, looks like God. You look like Jesus when you are in him. Isn't that crazy? You were created to be like him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17, it says, So from now on, regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This isn't just a little nice Sunday School Bible Study Memory Verse. I want you guys to really understand that it's true. If God said it in his word that the old is gone and the new has come, if you're in Christ Jesus, that is true. And as Pastor Myungwa preached last week, because of what Jesus did on the cross, the accuser, Satan, has been silenced. His words have no more power over you if you are in Christ Jesus. All the sin and shame and false identities are taken away and the righteousness of Jesus is given to you in exchange. Many believers, though, who have grown up in the church are much like Zacchaeus. They've heard all that Jesus has done. They know that it works for some people and they see some people who are overcoming and they're doing all these things, walking in freedom. And they think, though, that for themselves, they're always going to be stuck in this old way of doing things. The old sin, old bondage, old mind patterns, old insecurities, old self, that's just who I'm going to be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that it works for some people. It's not going to work for me. My sin and my false identities are way more powerful than the truth that God has spoken over my life, right? They keep claiming these false identities that Satan and others have spoken over themselves. And Pastor Myungwa made a point that is crucial last week in her sermon. And she kind of went over it really fast, but it's so good and so crucial. So we're just going to camp out there for a little while. And it's um, the truth versus reality, okay? Truth is what God has declared to be true through His Word. Through your times with him through the word of God through these messages through your um, Discipleship with your leaders when they say something when you read something that God has spoken that is true That is true now What is real is what the world says or what your circumstances look like? Okay, so truth and reality are both very real Okay, we have lived our whole lives in reality. Okay, I am five foot eight and a half I'm half Korean and half white. I grew up in Arkansas. I've been living. Okay, this is all reality, right? These are all facts and they are true in the natural realm. All of the things I just said are true, but there is something that is more real than what you see. There's something more true than what you see in the natural. And that is God's truth. Okay. And God's truth. If you choose to put your faith in it, will change the reality that you see. But if you choose to put your, your faith in the reality that you see, God's truth doesn't really matter. Because what you choose to believe, that's what changes things, okay? Just like Zacchaeus, no matter what people have said about you, no matter what you've done, if you are in Christ, the truth is you are new. You are clean. You are pure. You are righteous. The reality of Zacchaeus' situation was that he was a sinner, Everything that the people were saying about him was true, okay? That was real. He did bribe, he did accept rights, he did cheat people, he was evil. It's all reality, okay? But Jesus spoke truth to Zacchaeus and not the reality. The truth that Jesus spoke was that Zacchaeus was clean and righteous and that Jesus wanted to be with him. And so look what happens. The truth Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus changed his reality. When Jesus spoke his true identity to him, Zacchaeus's heart changed from that of a sinner who was a tax collector and greedy and evil to a lover of God whose heart was repentant, whose heart was willing to do anything to, just to be near Jesus, just to be close to him. Do you guys see his heart, how much it changed, his identity, how much it changed because of God's declared truth over his life? God's truth is truer and deeper and more real than the reality you see around you. And I'm going to give you guys a very personal example of this, okay? So, hold tight. (laughs) I need to compose myself. Okay. Jesus, help me. All right. Um, So, a little over a year ago... um, my dad passed away unexpectedly. And some of you guys who are closer to me and, and um, have have been with me since last year know this. Um, so last year wasn't just my first year of full time ministry, but it was also an intense season, as you can imagine, of grieving and of mourning for me. I would wake up on certain days last year with just like an unexplainable heaviness. And all I could do that day that I woke up with that is just cry like I would go to work and then random moments I would just cry I would like start eating lunch and then I'll, I'll just cry like I didn't know when it would happen It wasn't all the time, but it was just whenever and um, for some reason This would happen often when I was traveling like when I was in a cab or on the subway or bus And I was like, why is this triggered? Like what's going on? Why when i'm in a car or bus do I start crying and missing my dad? and um There's one specific time when this happened that I'm going to share with you guys. And it was about a month after my dad passed away. Um, So he passed away in February, and this was at the end of February or March. And... Um, The Amaze staff were heading out into the countryside for a staff retreat. We have a staff retreat before every start of the semester, right? So it's there that the ingenious videos are made, like that Harlem Shake one. And, uh, you know, it's like so much creativity and genius things happen when we get together at our staff retreats. But this was the one last spring semester before the semester started. And we were all riding on a bus out somewhere. I don't know where we were because I'm really bad at directions. And i remember it all so clearly um we're all like piled in the back of a bus and we've got like tons of bags of groceries because we have to cook and we there like isn't a grocery store there so we had to buy it all and then like travel with it uh david on had this ginormous bag of swedish fish and everyone was like throwing cookies and chips and snacks at each other like hey you want some of this and like it, like it was just a mad bus luckily there was like not many other people there except for us And, um, all the staff were like laughing and joking and having such a fun time. And then all of a sudden I started crying. And, um, I just had this, I I just had this like really vivid memory of my dad. And, um, oh, um, and I just started crying and I turned and I looked outside the window because, um, I wanted to try to like cover it because, I didn't want to dampen the mood, you know, like, it's not like anyone could do anything or that anyone had done anything to make me cry. So I didn't want people to worry. And as I looked outside the bus window, I had this um, memory from my childhood with my father. And um, my family, my mom and my brother, my dad and I, we took a lot of family trips together, like, a lot of family trips. Most of them were not pleasure. Most of them were for my dad's business. So he had to go like to Texas. He had to go to like all these different places. So we just drove everywhere all the time. I just remember, um, so many memories, um, like in a car, in the backseat of a car. And, um, so I don't remember why I just, um, like had this memory when I was sitting on a bus and I would I just remember, like, I don't know, one of the many times I would look in front of me and my dad was sitting uh, in the front driving and my mom was sitting to his right in the passenger seat helping him navigate. And then my brother was to my right, like, always passed out and, like, drooling. And I always, like, chose... I always did two things. One, I would look out the window and, like, imagine what was out there in the abyss of the darkness. Or I would, like, play jokes on my brother, like, put things in his mouth. And, like, sometimes I would, like, put g- my chewed gum next to his head. I was such a bad little sister. Um, we love each other now. but, um, But I remember feeling so safe and so loved and so protected. Whenever we were on those family trips and many of you guys know my story that my dad was um, an abusive father But when it came to those trips, I felt so safe in that car with him Because unlike me, my dad was a really really good driver And he was also extremely good at directions (laughs) Unlike me, he could get us anywhere Those car rides were with just the four of us. Uh, My dad was in control at the wheel. He knew exactly where we were going. He knew the destination. And I felt like in those moments, I could just relax and be a kid for once. I could just enjoy the ride because I trusted that my dad knew where we were going. And as I had this memory, my heart began to ache. And okay, as you guys can see, that's probably why I think of my dad on transportation often because we took so many family trips, but... As I had this memory on that bus, um, my heart began to ache because I realized that um, protection and that safety that I felt with my dad, I realized that I could never feel that again. And it just started dawning on me what it means for me to be fatherless. It means that I won't ever be able to buy him another Father's Day gift. It means I won't be able to see him grow older. It means I won't be able to ask him to tell me stories about when he was a kid. It means that when I fall in love and get married, he won't be there to walk me down the aisle. It means when I have kids someday, they won't be able to play with their grandpa. And I found that no matter how old I get and no matter how independent I become from my parents, regardless of the fact that I hadn't seen my dad in a long time, uh, when a parent passes away, there is a part of your heart that always is going to feel like a little kid, that feels like without them on this earth, uh, you're... Completely alone, um, and I was as I was thinking these things. I remember the Lord speaking something so simple and so powerful to me on that bus. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I felt um, the Father God telling me, Rona, you're not an orphan. Rona, you're not an orphan. Rona, you're not an orphan. You're a son. And I know that it sounds so simple, um, that statement. But in that moment, that is exactly what I needed to hear. Because an orphan is exactly what I felt like. And God showed me that memory I had when I was in the backseat of the car with my dad driving in the front and my mom in the passenger seat and my brother beside me. And God, my father, showed me that nothing has changed from that day. He said, Rona, I'm your father, your good father, and I'm the one who's driving this car. I'm in control. I've got it all under control. I know exactly where we're going. I know the destination, and I'm going to get us there. And it's going to be better than you could ever imagine. Just relax and enjoy the ride. You're completely safe, and look around you. I've set you in a family. These are your brothers and your sisters that are walking alongside you. You're never alone. You're no orphan, but you're a son. And just as Jesus walked up to Zacchaeus, a man under the shame of his sin, and called him pure and righteous one, Jesus drew near to me as I was mourning the loss of my dad, when I felt the most alone and the most like an orphan. And he said, you are a son. And it changed everything. It changed everything in Zacchaeus' life and so many other men and women in the Bible, like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Rahab, Paul, Peter, the list is is countless. And it also changed everything in my life as well. Reality said I was fatherless. Reality said I was an orphan. But the truth is that I'm a son with a full inheritance and a place in my father's house. So what will you choose to believe for your life? Will it be God's truth declared over you? Or will it be your present reality? Because what you choose to believe will change everything. Not only does God take away false identities, but as I shared in this story, the first primary and most important identity that is given to you when you receive Christ is that of a son. I say son and not daughter because in ancient Israel, only the sons got the full inheritance from their fathers. The son got everything their father had. So when I say you're a son, I'm not referring to your gender, but I'm referring to your place in the kingdom. The story of the prodigal son is one of my favorites, right? And I think many of us know it. And we focus on uh, the the prodigal son because that's the title of the story. But, you know, there's two sons and they have a father and the youngest son goes up to the father and says, hey, dad, uh, I want my full inheritance right now. So give it to me. I'm going to go live my own life apart from you, okay? When a son gets an inheritance, it's always when the father dies, okay? Father dies, you get the inheritance. But this guy went up to his dad and said, give it to me now. So it's pretty much like saying, you're as good as dead to me. I don't really care. Just give me the money, and I'm I'm going to get out of here, right? And so the, the youngest son goes, and as many of you know, he squanders his wealth on reckless living. He lives. He ends up eating with pigs, and his, he's like dude, I'm going to go back to my father's house. Even a slave, a servant in my father's house is better than what I'm experiencing here. So he goes back home and the father embraces him just as he is. He says, hey, let's kill a fattened calf and celebrate my son's return because he's dead and now he's alive and they have a big party for him. But the oldest son, whom we've forgotten because of this reckless son's living, the oldest son never left. He never asked for his dad's money. He's been working tirelessly tirelessly diligently at his father's house all these years all this time and then he begins to see what his father does for the youngest son and he's like how could you dad how could you kill the fattened calf for this reckless youngest brother whenever i've been here the whole time right and if you guys remember what the father says he says you're my son everything i have is yours everything i have is yours you are my son it all belongs to you duh like how could you ask me for a calf when everything belongs to you everything i have is yours okay and that is what god says when he says you are a son you're a co-heir with christ you have a full inheritance that's what we mean Everything that belongs to God, everything that is in the kingdom of heaven belongs to the sons of God. We get the full inheritance, not just part, not just based on our performance, not just based on how many, like, what we can do that's good. We get a full inheritance as soon as we step into the kingdom of God. That's what God says to us, his sons. It means you can approach God, your father, in freedom and in confidence. It means he delights in you. It means that he loves to give you good things. You don't have to bend his arm or pull his arm to get from him. He delights in giving us good things. It means he has good plans for you. It means the authority of the kingdom has been given to you. God also sees the destiny and the plans and purposes he's created for you. When God looks at each of us, he sees us in the future age that is to come. He sees you standing before his throne one day made perfect and formed into the image of Jesus. He doesn't look at you and judge you for what you've done in the past. He doesn't just see you for where you are right now in the present. He doesn't just see you as you are right now with your, the things you're dealing with or trying to overcome, but he also sees you as you will be. He sees you as you he created you to be from before the beginning of time, made in his image and carrying his glory. Do not let spiritual amnesia cause you to forget what God has done for you. When Jesus died on the cross to give you a new name and a new identity, when Jesus exchanged your sin for his righteousness, when he gave us an eternal place in the kingdom as a son, it only makes a difference if you choose to believe that truth for yourself. It's all there, but what do you choose to believe? So the second point I want to make um, after this is when Jesus reveals your true identity and calls you by name, He then calls you to do the, to do the same thing for others. Okay? It's, as usual, it's not just about us and our own freedom, but your relationship with God exceeds far beyond that. It transcends just your own life. When God saved me at my Emmaus retreat in 2008, He didn't just see one person, but He saw every single student and every single familia and every single semester he saw me right now, campus director of SNU. And then he saw each of the students who I impacted in their own lives, in their own families, in their own colleges. And then he saw the people in their lives. Do you guys see how this happens? When you take your place and when you realize who you are in God, it changes everything. And it changes everyone around you. And so I want to read to you guys a couple lines from one of my favorite authors, Um her name is Madeline Leangle, and she wrote um, A Wrinkle in Time. It's a children's story. But, um, oh, hi. <laughs> I looked at Magdalene. Her name is Madeline, okay? Um, so the the where I'm going to read is not from A Wrinkle in Time, but it's called A Wind in the Door. And here the main character named Meg is talking to an angel who looks like a dragon, okay? It excites me. Named Progo. Okay, everyone say Progo. Awesome, okay. Okay, so they're having a conversation, and Progo says... If you've been assigned to me, I suppose you must be some kind of namer, too. Even if a primitive one. A what? Meg asked. A namer. For instance, the last time I was with a teacher, or at a school, as you call it, my assignment was to memorize the names of the stars. Which stars? Meg asked. All of them, Progo responded. You mean all the stars in all the galaxies? Progo responded. Yes, if he calls for one of them, someone has to know which one he means. Anyhow, the stars like it. There aren't many who know them all by name. And if your name isn't known, then it's a very lonely feeling. When I was memorizing the names of the stars, part of the purpose was to help them each to be more particularly the particular star each one was supposed to be. That's basically a namer's job. Maybe you're supposed to make earthlings feel more human. A namer has to know who people are and who they are meant to be. So what if it is God's heart to not only call you by name and tell you who you are, but what if he also wants you to name others as well? In Genesis two nineteen through 23, I want you guys to all turn there. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, starting with verse 19. This is at the beginning of time, Okay. God has just created the heavens and the earth and set everything in place. And we're going to pick up at verse 19. All right. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Do you guys see what happened at the beginning of time, during the creation of the world? God created all things. He set all things in order. And then it says, God brought the animals to who? God brought the animals to Adam to see what Adam would choose to name them. God, the all-knowing and all-powerful God, was excited to see what Adam would name the created things. When God looks at you, he sees you as you are created to be. He sees who you really are, and he calls you by name. But as you take your place as a son and as a daughter in his kingdom, as you access the full inheritance, and you step into the authority that he has bought for you on the cross, he calls you to be a namer as well. Just as he brought these creatures to Adam and Adam called them one by one their name And they were established in that name from then on Just as Jesus walked this earth and called people by their true name and identity He calls us to do the same thing for others You see there is such power in our words God spoke creation into existence And as his sons and daughters what we choose to believe and what we choose to speak is powerful so whenever, if you're in my family or if I disciple you, often I'll just like say so many things about you and it will make you feel uncomfortable. And then you will usually say things like, no, I'm, for example, this is the most common one of the girls. You're so beautiful. You have a beautiful smile. I'll say something like that. And they'll say, no, I'm not. I'm so fat. I'm so ugly. I no, I look so bad, right? I'm speaking the truth over you. God sees you that way. And so do I. It's true. You're made in his image, P.S. So when you diss your looks, you're dissing him and his glory, okay? He didn't make a mistake on any of us. And so everything is in its place and as it should be. But when you say, I am ugly, I am fat, the words of death and negativity that you're speaking over yourself is establishing something. Your words have power and have life in them. So are you going to use your words to build yourself and others up? Or are you going to use your words to tear others down? It's crucial what you choose to do with your words. And also what what you choose to do with the people God brings in your life. When God introduces you or sets you in families or in friend groups of people who are broken, depressed, lost, or hurting, even your own family and your friends, do you come into agreement with the reality that they are messed up? Because it's true, they are messed up. Or do you look to the father and like Jesus to Zacchaeus, like God, the father to me on that bus, do you choose God's truth and speak their true identity and name to them? Yeah, maybe they're depressed right now, but if you look closely, you'll see that they're made in the glorious image of God. And you can choose to speak one of those things, the reality or the truth of God to them. They are mighty warriors. They are victorious. They're the apple of God's eye. Let God's truth about them flow out of your mouth and change their reality as well. So I want to conclude with this. Um, The reason that Jesus could name Zacchaeus is because it takes someone who is fully aware and confident in who they are to be able to name anyone else. You must be secure in your identity as a son or daughter of God first before you can speak and establish this identity in others. Some of you are like Zacchaeus. You have seen and heard of Jesus, of all that he's done for people, how he's healed and helped and loved so many. But like Zacchaeus, you just can't believe that it can work for you. Like I said earlier, your own issues, your own sin, your own doubts and your own bondage, your own insecurities are just too much and they separate you from being able to approach Jesus, just like Zacchaeus. But remember what we read in the story. All it took was for Jesus Um, was for Zacchaeus to climb that tree with that one desire. I just want to get a glimpse of him. I just want to see this Jesus. All it takes is for Jesus to make himself real to you. All it takes is for you to open up your heart and say, Jesus, I want to see you. The moment Zacchaeus took that first step of faith and courage, Jesus came to him and met him and called him by name. And everything changed for Zacchaeus. His entire life changed when Jesus said, um, which also is what he says to you, Come down here, pure one, clean one, righteous one. I want to be with you. Come closer to me. I want to stay with you. You see, the last part of Zacchaeus' story is verses 9 and 10. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Zacchaeus the sinner was called by name by by Jesus and set into the family of God. The word says that the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Before this encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus was lost. But Jesus knew Zacchaeus even better than he knew himself. Jesus sought Zacchaeus out in the midst of that huge crowd. And the reason that you're sitting here in this room at SNU is because out of the billions of people on this earth, out of the millions in this nation and in your own nations, out of the thousands on this campus, Christ has sought you out among the crowd. Each one of you, he says to you, I call you by name. I call you by name. Jesus came to seek and save what was lost in the garden. What was lost in the garden when sin came was intimacy with God, being fully known and knowing him. What was lost was our true identity in the fullness of God's presence. But we can never know who we really are until we get a revelation of who he is. Those parts of you that you forgot about and that are lost, those friends and family members that you feel are so lost and in darkness, Jesus came so he could seek out and save all of those things. He restores all things. You see, Zacchaeus wasn't the only one who climbed up a tree. Jesus climbed up his own tree, the cross, so that he could seek you and save you when you were most lost. He died a death on that tree so that our old identities, our old names, our old sin and shame would be removed completely. He climbed that tree so that the Father could call us by name, so that we could be called sons of God again. And I feel like many of you have been longing to hear Jesus speak your true identity. Just like he did for Zacchaeus, some of you have never heard God call you by name. And some of you just need God to speak it, again to remind you because you've forgotten. All it takes, just like Zacchaeus, is that desire in your heart. Jesus, speak to me. Jesus, I just want to see you. Jesus, I want to hear you. Jesus, call me by name, and he will come. That is truth. That is his promise. The staff, God has named us, He has called us by name, and because of that, he calls us to be namers who release his heart. And um, I want to get Bora to come up here and play. And um, I feel like some of you guys want to respond to this. Some of you guys have never heard him call you by name, and some of you have heard Jesus call you by name before, but you've forgotten. I think... When it comes to family and friends and school and so many of the other voices in your life, it's easy to forget the name that Jesus has called you, the identity that he has bought for you. It's easy to forget. And so the staff want to pray for you. um, And we just want to simply release God's true identity over you. We want to set things in order that have been forgotten. And so I want want everyone to close their eyes. I want everyone to close their eyes, and I want you to make Zacchaeus' cry, your simple cry as well. Even if you don't know, even if there's this big obstacle like that crowd of people, the Jews who condemned him, even if there's this barrier or wall that you feel like you can never cross to get to be near this Jesus, it just takes that one simple desire and that step of courage, that desire, that cry that says, I just want to see him. I know it doesn't make sense. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm not worthy. I know I've got all these doubts and these questions and these fears, and it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I just forgot. I know it doesn't make sense, but I just want to see a glimpse of him. Don't let the enemy crush that still small voice, that glimmer of hope in your heart, because you were made for so much more. You were made to know who you are in him. You were made to walk in your true identity as a son or as a daughter.